You're listening to Sermon Audio from First Baptist Church of Van Walsteen. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. Amen. Certainly good to see you today. Great to worship with you. You sound great this morning. You look good today. I can't think of a place I'd rather be. Amen. We're going to take our Bibles this morning and turn to Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 1, if you would join me there. And uh, we'll also a little bit later be flipping back a page or two to Matthew chapter 28. Uh, Along with Jace, I want to encourage you to pray uh, specifically, uh, very intentionally, uh, this week for Disciple Now weekend. Uh, Pray for the nine people who have very graciously agreed to steward their homes for the gospel uh, as uh, they are opening their homes and those names are found uh, on your little uh, weekly handout there. Also, uh, the individual names of those who will be coming and leading them. So uh, pray for those uh, names uh, individually. Uh, Pray for them by name uh, that God will use them this next week. Uh, Also, next Sunday, uh, you can look forward to, uh, in the early service, Griff will be preaching Jace will be preaching here in the 11 o'clock service. Uh, That's uh, something that we typically do on Disciple Now weekend, kind of wrapping things up. We will be away uh, next week. We're going to go back to the piney woods of East Texas and uh, celebrate um, In ministry, um, God is gracious uh, to allow us to just be a part of a church family's story, um, sometimes in spite of us. Um, and so we're going to go uh, celebrate uh, with the church that we pastored for 11 years before coming here. Um, they'll be uh, their first Sunday in their new worship space. And, um, So pray for them. Uh, Pray for this new season in uh, their lives and in the life of their church. Uh, Kind of a cool thing uh, that I think I've mentioned before, but uh, Billy Sheets is their pastor now. He was our student pastor when I was there, and so uh, he's uh, back there now pastoring and uh, doing a great job, and uh, God's just doing amazing things. And so uh, we're just grateful for that opportunity. And uh, uh, while we don't look forward to being away from you and being away from uh, the last part of our Disciple Now weekend, we are looking forward to uh, being back out there with those dear folks. But for the past four Sundays, uh, we have uh, been in a sermon series called Revision. We have uh, reviewed, revisited our mission statement, our uh, vision statement, our mission statement, our core values. We have looked at the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. We've looked at the great commitment, we've called it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Today we're going to conclude the series by looking together at what we know as the great commission. The great commission to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them. Uh, Some have observed that uh, we may do better to call this the great omission. Okay, and in some respects, if we're all completely honest, uh, it has been for us the great omission. 
Uh, I know for me, uh, this is uh, in some ways a difficult message to preach because uh, uh, God has been working me over this past week as I've been looking at the text and uh, marinating in it all week. Uh, This is uh, something that I have failed in many, many times over. And one of the dangers of being in ministry uh, vocationally, uh, professionally we might say, is that you can very easily get caught up in the programs and the processes and the procedures and the policy and all of the things that are associated with, with church life and all of that, and you lose sight of the people, people who need Jesus. Um, so in this series, we have taken some time at the beginning of this new year and really a new season for us as a church family to envision a church that loves God supremely, that loves our neighbors sacrificially, and is laser-focused on leading people on a life-transforming journey to become fully devoted disciples of Jesus Christ. It all begins with loving God, loving God supremely, and understanding, as we just sang, that Jesus is better. He's better than anything this world has to offer. No matter how great it may seem, He's better. And fundamentally, any time that we choose to sin, yes, we choose to suffer, but it is in some form or another a form of idolatry. Because we are essentially saying that thing is better in this moment than Jesus. Jesus is better. It begins with loving God. We have learned that uh, that's the great commandment. And everything that we do should flow from our love for God. We believe that if you love God, then you will love and serve others. And you will have a desire to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so in our spiritual formation, in our discipleship, we want to see biblical truth permeate our minds, penetrate our hearts, and be practiced with our hands. Sometimes we, we get that out of balance. Uh, I've been a part of ministries growing up. I have myself been guilty at times of focusing and giving more attention to one of those to the exclusion of the others. And that's a dangerous thing because we never want to be people who just gather here every week and just fill our minds with more knowledge and it stops there. We want to be people who take what we're learning and we want those truths to penetrate our hearts So that we fall more in love with Jesus every day, become more like him every day. And we see those truths practiced with our hands in a practical way. Sometimes we want to skip over to the hands part and we just want to talk about application. And we don't really stop to think, why is this true? You can't worship what you do not know. And so all of those things fit together, and and I hope that you have seen that in this series of messages. It begins with that supreme love for God, and then that that finds its way into our relationship with our fellow man and our family members and our neighbors and our co-workers and and all of those things. And so we practice the gospel with our hands. Well, it was in children's church uh, when I was eight or nine years old. That's what we called it back then. We called it children's church. And if we got to come into a service like uh, the kids are here this morning, they're in big church, right? This big church. Um, But I was taught a song that I've never forgotten. In fact, every time I read Mark chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, where we're going to be here in just a moment, I think of this song, I will make you fishers of men. Fishers of men, and you actually had to reel them in. Fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men if you'll follow me. If you'll follow me. And it's like, it seemed like it always went too high for us boys, and we were like, if you follow me, you know, that kind of thing. 
Um, it was like super flat, like that. It's just, and then I will make you fishers of men if you will follow me. That comes from Mark chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. And what you find here in the beginning pages of Mark's gospel, it's really a biography of the life and ministry of Jesus. There's that clipboard, and that's perfectly okay. Um, Chase, you're so prophetic, bro, man. <laughs> uh, but in Mark chapter 1, Jesus is beginning his earthly ministry, right? And so now he's calling his first disciples to follow him, follow me. And I want you to notice, actually I want us to get a running start into verses 16 and 17. I think this is so important. Notice it says in verse number 14 of Mark chapter 1, it says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming what? The gospel of God, the good news, and saying the time is fulfilled, the time is now. My, my time of preparation, it, it's, it's been fulfilled. Now it's time for me to launch my earthly ministry. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus' ministry was itself very gospel-centered. And then so in verses 16 and 17, it says, Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea. They were fishermen. This was their vocation. This was their job. They were, they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. I'll make you to become fishers of men. Now, honestly, I didn't understand what that song meant. I will make you fishers of men as an eight-year-old boy. But I do remember that it wasn't long after I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ that I was taught that being a fisher of men should be a characteristic of every follower of Jesus Christ. We are each one called to make disciples, to replicate. Uh, we're to be fishers of men. And so I, I didn't fully understand that. But I, I, want you to, I want you to catch this if you don't catch anything else, and that pun is intended. Being a fisher of men is to be a characteristic of every follower of Jesus Christ. And so with that thought in mind, I want us to answer a couple of questions this morning. Number one, do you believe that Jesus Christ can radically change and transform a person's life? Do you believe, really believe, that Jesus Christ can radically change and transform a person's life? And honestly, if you have to believe that on some level if you are a follower of Jesus Christ yourself. Because when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, Scripture says he begins this transformation process. Old things have passed away, all things have become new. Or if that wasn't the case, then you wouldn't naturally, your natural inclination would not be to follow him. So do I believe that Jesus Christ can radically change and transform a person's life? Number two, do I actually believe that my relatives, my friends, my neighbors, my co-workers, my, my, all those people, would they be better off if they truly knew God and had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? If you answered yes to those two questions and you really believe in the life-transforming power of the gospel, then the single greatest gift that you could ever give anyone in this lifetime is an explanation of how to be rightly connected with God, reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. You can talk about a lot of other great stuff, but nothing, nothing more important than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there is a reason why we have come to this point in this series, because the single most important thing to God is people. Is people. Think about this. 
Not one earthly commodity is going to make it from this world into the next. The things that we so value here, not, not land, not, not, not homes, not bank accounts, not trophies, not titles, not achievements, not, none of those things. The only thing that is going to make it from this world into the next is the souls of people. And unless Jesus Christ is a liar and the Bible is completely false, every human being that dies is going to be resurrected either to spend eternity with God or in isolation from God. That's why God wants his followers to be united in the task of world evangelism, to connect with people who do not yet know God. In a loving and sensitive and gracious way, point them toward Jesus Christ and his life-transforming power. Now, I know there may be some of you right now, already at this point in the message, you're thinking, Pastor, this is not my gift. It's not my gift. I've done gift assessments many times over, and guess what? It's not one of mine either. You think, but you're a pastor. How can evangelism not be your gift? Some people, I do believe, are uniquely gifted in this way. But that doesn't let the rest of us off the hook. Okay? That doesn't mean that we can say, well, that's just not my gift. That's like saying, well, you know, hospitality is not my gift, so I don't have to be, you know, hospitable. That's not, that's not the way spiritual gifting works. Okay? We're all to leverage our resources, our influence, uh, all of the things that God has placed in our disposal and in our care. We're to, to steward those things ultimately for the glory of God and the good of those around us. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that's why Jesus did not leave the church's job description to chance or to some human committee. Now, before he left this planet, he told us exactly what our number one responsibility is, both corporately and individually. And for that, we just flip a page back to Matthew chapter 28. So we've been in the beginning of Mark's gospel, looking at the very beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. Now we're going to flip back and we're going to be at the end of Matthew's gospel. We're going to see the final days of Jesus here on this earth. And notice what it says in verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We know this as the Great Commission. It's our task. We can articulate it in a lot of different ways. Uh, we choose to say it this way. It is, it is our mission to lead people on a life-transforming journey to become fully devoted disciples of Jesus Christ. Notice the Great Commission is not a call to collect more Christians. Okay, just co- collect a number of people. Gather a crowd. That's not, that's, not, that's not the commission. It is to go make disciples. So we're to be disciples who are actively making disciples who then are actively making disciples. It's, it's gospel replication is what it is. And we, we, we go about that in a lot of different ways. There are a lot of things that God entrusts to us that enables us to do that better. And I thank God, for example, some of the technology that we have today that allows the gospel to go out in ways that, that it maybe never would before. 
Uh, and so there's a lot of different ways that we do this, but there's some fundamental truths that I want us to see here, and I want us to understand as we revisit, for many of us, the Great Commission. The first thing is this. You've got to see the need. You've got to see the need. I think sometimes, if we're not careful, then we kind of see Jesus as something that people need in a portfolio of other things that will kind of make their life better. That's not why Jesus came. It's why we often say here, Jesus did not come, live a perfect, sinless life, die a substitutionary death on a cross, conquer death just to make good people's lives better. He came to make dead people alive. That's why he came. Spiritually dead people come to life as a result of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've got to see the need. Several years ago, I had one of the most sobering experiences of my life. At that point in my ministry, I had been in many uh, medical facilities, hospitals, nursing homes, all of those things, naturally visiting different ones. As far as I can remember, this was the first time that I had actually been in a hospice facility. And unlike most medical facilities, all of the patients in this particular facility were receiving palliative care. All of the aggressive medical procedures and treatments had stopped. The only measures being taken were for the patient's comfort in their final days here on earth. Every room of this facility was occupied by someone who was suffering from terminal illness. They all knew that they were dying. And as I walked the hallways of this facility, I couldn't help but think to myself, that is exactly the way the world is spiritually. I mean, the truth is, we're all dying. Am I right? So either at this point, you're either in Christ or you are not. And so as I, as I walked the hallway there, I, just, I was just overcome with the thought that people need the Lord. People need the Lord. You can have conversations with people and they'll tell you all of these different things. Maybe you've thought of a list of things that would make your life better. If I had a little more money at the end of the month, that would be amazing. If I had more money at the end of the month than I do bills, at the, that would really be awesome. If I had a little bit bigger house, if I had a nicer car, if I had a different job, if I was in a different season of life, if I could just get over this hump, if I could, all of these different things. We can think all these things would make my But ultimately what people need is the Lord. They need to be in a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Several years ago, the Rainer Group, they did a, uh, they did a study of what they classified as the unchurched. And I want to be clear here, when I say the unchurched, I am not necessarily suggesting that everyone who doesn't currently have a church home or maybe isn't in, involved in the church like they maybe would like to be or even should be are not saved, are not Christians. Being in church or even being a part of a church family is not what salvation is, Okay. But this is the way that they classified these people and and give us a little bit better understanding. And what they did is they spent two years going to all 50 states in Canada. And they interviewed hundreds of unchurched people in every major age and ethnic group. And they discovered that people fell pretty neatly into one of five stages. Going from what they called U1 to U5. Unchurched 1 to unchurched 5. And so they they, they came up with this data And think about this. The people that we tend to fear in some respect the most are the people who are highly antagonistic and even hostile to the gospel. 
And I think more and more, the more we watch the news, the more that we live in this crazy world, we tend to think that there's a whole lot more people that fall in that category than actually do. I'm not saying that the world's getting better or falling more in love with Jesus. I'm not suggesting that. But I think you might be surprised to discover this. They found that of the 160 million unchurched people in America, and this was just a few years ago, only 5% actually fall into that category that they labeled U1. People that are highly antagonistic or even hostile to the gospel. I can think of only a handful of times that I've encountered people like that in the course of my ministry. I'll never forget the first one. His name was Mitchell. Mitchell had uh, been kind of hanging around Sycamore Park in Louisville, Texas, where I was leading a Bible club. And I, I, I came over to talk to Mitchell under a swing set there in Sycamore Park. And I said, Mitchell, and I just kind of had an opportunity to explain the gospel to him. And he said, I don't want to hear that junk. I think that was the first time in my life ever that anybody had just blatantly rejected the gospel. We tend to think there are a lot more people that fall in that category than really, than really there are. And so only 1 in 20 people are completely hostile to the gospel. Of course, then there are people who are resistant to the gospel, but they're not antagonistic or hostile toward the gospel. They, they may not necessarily want to hear the gospel, but they won't be belligerent about it. In fact, the studies show that 62% of those people would go to church if someone invited them. That's unbelievable to me. Unbelievable. Let me put this whole study in another way for you. What they learned is that nearly 75% of the people that you meet will at least be open to discussing the gospel, open to hearing your story about Jesus Christ and how he's transformed your life, or very receptive to hearing your story about Christ. And with that picture in mind, let's consider this. We must, number two, seek to connect. Seek to connect. In Luke's gospel, Jesus himself said, the Son of Man, talking about himself, came to seek and to save the lost. Why was Jesus often criticized in his earthly ministry? He was criticized by the religious people of his day because he connected, was actively connecting with people who were irreligious. The less desirables, right? He eats with what? Sinners. It's what prompted Jesus to say, it's the sick who need a physician. <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy. You wouldn't think it's strange if, if you talk to your physician, your doctor, and they said, you know what, it seems like I spend a lot of my time with sick people. You wouldn't go, what? No way. Like you, you wouldn't find that weird, right? No. Because that's what physicians do. They see sick people, and they, they diagnose their issues, and they, they, they prescribe, or they do whatever. And so that's fundamentally what Jesus was saying. These are the people that I came to, to seek and to save, the lost. And we're to do the same thing as Jesus. We are to seek out people who do not know God, believing that God will use us to share the good news of the gospel. Now, this is not to be, uh, be undergirded by judgmentalism. Okay, we're not talking about, you know, walking in the coffee shop going, eh, you don't look like a Christian. Let me, it, that, that's not the way that this works. But here's the simple truth, and this is sad, but the longer a person attends church, the fewer discussions they engage in with unchurched people because they have fewer friends who are unchurched. And so we would say it this way, and I, I believe our entire team would agree with this fundamentally, but we believe 
in relational evangelism. Now certainly, you can, if God prompts you and gives you an open door to share the gospel with a complete stranger, you do it. There have been times, I can point back to a few times in my life where, where God just made it crystal clear. I was supposed to share the gospel with somebody that I didn't know. But most often, and we believe the gospel is best shared in relationship. Relational evangelism. Now maybe you're familiar with things like lifestyle evangelism. Lifestyle evangelism. And I understand the sentiment behind that. Uh, there has been a quote for years that was, I think, wrongly ascribed to Francis of Assisi that says, hey, uh, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Historians tell us now that Francis of Assisi probably never said that. Okay, I, I understand kind of where people are coming from when they say that. Uh, but, but lifestyle evangelism, as some people understood it and some people practiced it, was I'm just going to live an exemplary Christian life and just by the way that I live, people will naturally be drawn to Jesus. Man, Mike, just look at the way he mows his yard. That is awesome. And, you know, it's like come to... That, that's, that's not what... That's, if, if that's your form of lifestyle evangelism, that's not biblical evangelism. Okay, now if by lifestyle evangelism you mean I don't want in any way my life, the things that I do, uh, the places I go, the jokes that I laugh at, the jokes that I tell, all, all of those different things, the, the values uh, that, that, I, that I exude to others, all those things, I don't want that to be in conflict with my gospel witness. Then sure, absolutely. Those things should be congruent. They should be in agreement. Okay? But there's lifestyle evangelism. Maybe some of you are more familiar with confrontational evangelism. Maybe you've experienced that. Okay? And, and certainly there are times to take a bold stand on gospel truth and all of those things. But, but by and large, confrontational evangelism is not effective. It's the kind that says, I'm going to beat you over the head with my Bible, and I'm going to, I'm going to outwit you, outplay you, I'm going to out-argue you, I'm going to win the argument, and... I, that, that's more of a confrontational kind of evangelism. Maybe you're familiar with bait-and-switch evangelism. You know, and church has been doing this for years. You use gimmicks and all of these different things. And, and so We believe that the best way to share the gospel is relationally. Relationally. So what does that mean? That means that people who follow Jesus Christ have to be more intentional about developing relationships with people around them. One of the things that we want to do more intentionally is to teach you and train you in how to build relationships and how to connect with people for the sake of the gospel. We want you to see your workplace as a mission field. We want you to understand that you are in the ministry every bit as much as those of us who are paid to be in the ministry. And to consistently ask yourself, where is my mission's outpost? Where is my mission's outpost? How can I leverage this job? How can I leverage this season of life in which I find myself, retirement or whatever? How can I leverage my relationship with the ladies in my book club or in my social organization? Or how can I leverage these relationships with the people that I work out with or, or whatever? How can I leverage that for the sake of the gospel? You know, I'm talking about being obnoxious. I'm talking about being relational. And earning the right to be heard. Earning the right to tell your story about how Jesus Christ has transformed your life. How he's making a difference in your life every single day. Believe it or not, it, it's not as hard as you might think. 
For some of you, it may be as simple as having a cookout at your home and inviting your friends and neighbors over just to get to know them. Not so you can sit them down and preach them a sermon, but just get to know them. Demonstrate that you care about them. Uh, take, take someone out for a cup of coffee and just have a conversation. And, and in that first conversation, it may not go like a laser to Jesus. Okay, but you can get to, to get to know them a little bit. One of the things that God allowed us to do a number of years ago, I'd say 22 years ago now, uh, I was, we were pastoring in Alice, Texas at the time, which is down in the heart of South Texas. And it was uh, the year 2000. And everybody's worried about Y2K at the time and all of that. And so we decided we're going to do this uh, evangelism initiative. We got this massive map from the city engineer. We put it on one of the back walls in our worship center. And we set out, our goal was to knock on every door in Alice, Texas by the end of the year 2000. Our goal was not necessarily to, as soon as someone answered the door, to start going into a a full-on gospel presentation. If God gave us the opportunity and he opened the door for that, that's great. But primarily what we did is we said, hey, we're your friends and, and, and maybe your neighbor from Cornerstone Baptist Church over on Stadium Drive, and we just want to get acquainted with some of the folks in the neighborhood. And really, the most important thing today is we want to know if there's anything that we could pray with you about. That's all we did. And, and then we would come back and give reports of what people, how they responded to that. And almost every week, people were coming back going, man, I asked that question, and this guy just started crying. I go, yes, would you pray for my Thea? She's sick. Would you pray for my, my grandfather? He's very sick. I mean, they had these prayer needs, and we just showed that we cared. And then as we had opportunity, we would go back and deepen those relationships and continue to plant seeds of the gospel. And, and God, God honored that. But it was relational in nature. The point is, every day, just like Jesus Christ, we ought to be intentional and purposeful in in, in entering into relationship with people for the sake of the gospel. And so right now, I want us to pause for just a moment, and I want us to pray. Just right there where you are, if you just bow your head and close your eyes for a moment. I want us to pray and ask God to give us a heart like his that would seek after people, enter into relationship with people, discover people, build relationships with people who do not know him. Father, we thank you that you have entrusted to us the greatest news known to man, the gospel. So God, I pray that you would give us a renewed awareness of those around us. To understand that we're living in a community filled with people who need to know Jesus. We work with people who need to know Jesus. Our kids are on ball teams with people who need to know Jesus. Lord, we even recognize today we may worship right here with people who need to know Jesus. Help us, Lord, to leverage our relationships, our resources, all of those things ultimately for you and your glory in the sake of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That brings us to number three. Share the gospel. 
share the gospel. Last week we talked about the great commitment of loving and serving our neighbors. And many times we can, we can get this thing out of balance. right? We can almost ascribe to what some would say is a social gospel. We don't want to be guilty of just somehow trying to make this world a better place from which people can spend eternity without Christ. So while it's important to to love and serve your neighbor's practical needs, much like the Good Samaritan did in in the parable last week, it's important that we do those things for the sake of the gospel, to ultimately introduce them to Jesus Christ. How sad would it be to provide somebody a meal or provide them with a a lead to a new job and all those things that, that would make their life better in some respects, but fail to introduce them to Jesus Christ. So share the gospel. Let's suppose that you are involved. You want to get involved in leading people on a life-transforming journey to become fully devoted disciples of Jesus Christ. And let's imagine that you do see people who need the Lord. Let's imagine that you do seek out relationships with people who need to know the Lord. Let's imagine that you've cultivated a relationship with a a co-worker. You've built a friendship over the last several weeks or months. You, You both know that you're in different places spiritually. Your neighbor understands that you are really into God. Maybe that's how they would describe it. They've come to understand that you have some sort of a relationship with God. You have some sort of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And imagine that the moment comes in that relationship when your neighbor says something along the lines of, how can I know God? Or how can I have the peace that you seem to have? Or why is all this stuff about God so important to you? When that moment comes... And it'll look different in every relationship. And it may not be that that, that plain and clear to you. But when that moment comes, it will be the defining moment of that entire relationship. It's the moment that God wants to drive every relationship toward. You can pour yourself into developing friendships with people and building relationships and finding where they are in their spiritual journey, but then completely lose the God moment and the opportunity to see someone come to Christ if you don't know how to share with people effectively so that they can know Him. I don't know about you, but one of the most awkward social situations that I ever find myself in is when I see someone I know out in public, sometimes it's a church member, sometimes it's not, and they're with someone that I don't know. Okay, And I walk over, engage in conversation, but they never introduce me to the other person. Isn't that a little odd to you? And I know one of the things that I struggle with sometimes, and if I've ever been guilty of that, it's probably because I can't remember your name. Okay, I'm just going to be straight up honest with you right now. Um, but, but isn't that a little strange? So how strange would it be to be in a relationship with someone for any length of time, in a relationship that finds any kind of depth, but you never at any point actually introduce them to Jesus. What can happen if you fail to do that is they will quickly think, well, you're religious, but they're not necessarily going to be convinced that you have a relationship with Christ. And so, again, we want to help you do that. And so just very briefly in these final few moments, I want to give you a tool, a simple tool, and I want to encourage you, I'm going to give you some homework today, all right? I want you to go down, and if you've never actually written your testimony out, I want to encourage you to write down your testimony. And hopefully, 100 words or fewer. And we would call this your elevator testimony, all right? You should be able to basically share this with somebody between the first floor and the fifth floor, okay? And it'll contain four things. This is some basic training that we use for mission trips and everything. What was my life like before I met Jesus? 
Okay, it doesn't have to be all the gory details, all that stuff. I don't have all those gory details. I was, I was saved when I was eight. Okay, I was, at the time, I was not clubbing. I was not shooting up drugs. I was not none of those. So I, I don't have any of that stuff in, in my story by the grace of God. Okay, I know some of you, maybe you do. And maybe that will eventually become more a part of your story. But this is not where you like write all that out and spend 15 minutes talking about this life that you had before Christ. But you do want to, in some ways, describe your life before you met Jesus. And then number two, how I realized I needed Jesus. How I realized I needed Jesus. Number three, how I surrendered my life to Jesus. And number four, the difference that Jesus has made in my life. And again, you would want to try to do that in 100 words or fewer. There's obviously going to be more to this. There obviously, some of you have been trained in a variety of different ways to share the gospel. Some of you have the Romans road marked out in your Bible. Some of you have been uh, trained in evangelism explosion. Some of you have been trained in in all these various methods. And I'm not saying any of those are wrong. But sharing the gospel is much less about a presentation than we sometimes think. And one of the reasons that we're sometimes reluctant to share the gospel is because we don't think we have a slick enough presentation. There is so much power in the gospel. So much power in the gospel. If we would just faithfully tell people, humbly tell people the difference that Jesus Christ has made and is making in our lives, that has incredible power. That's not our own. So I'm just going to briefly share with you mine. All right? Some of you know this story, but I would simply say it this way. Because of the persistence of one of my dad's co-workers in the insurance business, his name was Dan Arnold, Because of his persistence in ministering to my dad, building a friendship with my dad, inviting our family to church consistently and persistently, he wouldn't give up. Eventually, my dad finally said yes, and our family started attending church. At that point in my life, I was basically a good kid. I was learning about God. The more we started attending church, I was going to a Sunday school class naturally, but I I knew deep down in my heart that I didn't know God, didn't understand that I had a sin problem. I didn't have a, a, a real personal relationship with God. But then at a Thanksgiving Eve service at our church on November the 24th, 1974, people were sharing their testimony, their story of how they came to faith in Christ. And it was in that service that I realized I was a sinner like everyone else and needed forgiveness and to be reconciled to holy God. So in that service, I prayed and asked God to forgive me of my sin and to, I surrendered my life to Christ and And then, by the grace of God, on this journey that has seen plenty of mountaintop experiences and plenty of valleys and all of those things, this journey that I've been on for 40-plus years now, by the grace of God, I get to live every day with the joy and peace of a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's kind of it. Obviously, that sparks more conversation. More, you know, we go into more detail the more you get to know a person, but it's really that simple. And here's the great thing about doing it that way, is it's much harder for someone to refute your personal story. If you're thinking, man, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta explain the, all the stuff, and I've gotta outwit them, and I've gotta out-argue them, and all that kind of thing, just share your story. And, and how his story has become your story. I want you to think about three words today as we close. Anyone, anywhere, anytime. Anyone, anywhere, anytime.
Anyone, anywhere, anytime can have their life eternally changed through the power and the grace of God through Jesus Christ. You understand that there are people where you live and work and play who are one relationship, one conversation, one prayer away from becoming your brother or sister in Christ? And maybe there have been others along the way who have planted seeds in their life and they've had other conversations with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and maybe God would give you the opportunity to go back to Mark's gospel to draw the net. may not be that. It may be that God's going to use you to plant a seed. It may be God's going to use you to get a person thinking about their eternal destiny and what happens to a person after they die. Just maybe. And then God will allow someone else to come along and draw that net. I know I've told you before about Greg Brawley. Greg Brawley was down in South Texas. He was a Border Patrol agent. And I was getting ready to leave the church office one day to go run a couple of errands. And here comes Greg Brawley, full uniform, everything. And he's got big tears streaming down his face. And he goes, I need to talk to a pastor. I'm like, great, come on in. Walked into my office. We sat down. Greg began to tell me some things that were going on in his life and all, just this story and it just like it was a mess and all, all this stuff. And so in that moment, I, I felt fully convicted. I was, I was supposed to share, explicitly share with him the gospel. And he got up from his seat across from my desk and he walked over and he stood beside me. These big tears just dropping on my Bible. He prayed right there in my office to trust Christ as his Savior. What did I do? <laughs> I don't know of all the people prior to that moment, to that, that divine appointment that had, had planted seeds. I don't, I, I'm not even sure if I fully understand what made him pull up into the parking lot of our church. But I know he did. And I firmly believe that he committed his life to Jesus Christ that day. Does it happen that way very often? It really doesn't. It really doesn't. But anywhere, anyone, anywhere, anytime can have their life transformed by the power of the gospel. And maybe God wants to use you in that transformation. So envision what could happen if as a church we saw our job or our stage of life, our, our relationships, if we saw those as opportunities to be ultimately in the people business and ultimately in the gospel business. You say, well, they may pay me to do my work, but my real job is my mission. I'm here to see others who need God, to seek out those without God, and to share with them the good news of the gospel so that they can know God. Let's make sure that it really is the great commission and not the great omission. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed for just a moment this morning, I realized this morning that in a room this size with this many people, some watching online, it's likely that there are some who would say, Pastor, I'm not certain that I'm in a right relationship with God. I'm trying. I'm trying to be better. I'm trying to do better. I'm trying to quit doing some stuff and start doing some other things that I know I should do. I'm trying. 
But you can't point to a time in your life, and you don't have to know the, the date like I do. But you can't point to a time in your life when you turn from your sin to faith in Jesus Christ. I would love to take you aside and show you from the Word of God how you can be reconciled to holy God. Scripture tells us very clearly in the book of Romans that the wages of sin is death. (laughs) One of the things that I love about Scripture and the gospel is it completely flips the script. The wages of sin is death. And the next word is a conjunction that you could easily skip over in that verse. But... But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's some one verse evangelism right there. So if that's you today, will you take that step of faith? Commit your life to Jesus Christ. Seek the forgiveness that he offers through the finished work of Jesus Christ. For those of you here today who would say, Pastor, that is my testimony. I recognize my need for a Savior. Recognize that I couldn't save myself. So I ask God to forgive me and to to be my Savior and my Lord. And my testimony is one of faith in Jesus Christ. And the question for you today becomes, are you faithfully sharing that good news with others? Are you leveraging those opportunities and those relationships and those interactions that you have with people throughout your week, throughout your day? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that we don't have to somehow, some way, save ourselves. You sent a Savior, one who said, I've come to seek and to save those who are lost. Lord, I thank you that in your sovereign plan, you choose to use us, broken, imperfect, sinful men and women, boys and girls, forgiven, reconciled by the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to bring others to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you that you've entrusted to us the best news ever. Help us, Lord, to be faithful in sharing it with those around us. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Van Alstine. For more information about our church, visit www.fbcva.com.